Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. I'm Rodney, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'd like to welcome everybody to the uh, third annual Columbia River Young People's Roundup. Those of you who just got here, those of you who are just waking up, and uh, this is going to be the uh, the first meeting this, today, and the title of the meeting is Upon Awakening. It's really good to be here. It's it's uh, it's fun to be up here too. Um, this can't be any worse than the last couple of days. Um, Thursday and Friday, I had to uh, give presentations to junior high school students, seventh graders, and uh, it was really scary. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, and uh, my partner and I were having to try and, and give them some some information that maybe would help them make a, a wise choice when they decided whether they were going to drink or not drink and uh you know it was a challenge and it scared me because i you know I've, I've done very little speaking except in aa meetings but uh it came through all right and what i did was i just turned it over to god you know and i i recognized and realized that by myself i'm helpless i can't do anything without you know without god and then that's one of the things that i have to do every morning you know when i get up is is ask god to help me out through the day, you know, um, it's as simple as that, and I try to keep it simple. Uh, when I, when I try to uh, run the show, I always get in trouble. And uh, so, what what I do first thing when I wake up, you know, if I don't curse for having to wake up, you know, I I say, God, here I am checking in again, and I pick that up from Chuck Chamberlain. I think that's something like what he says. I, Heard that a couple of years ago, and it seemed like a pretty good thing to say. And so that's kind of what I do. I just say, God, here I am. You know, help me, help me again today, just for today. And uh, and then I kind of think about what I'm going to have to do for the day. And uh, a lot of it, you know, is is involves some heavy growth these days because I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm starting a new career, and I'm real unsure of myself. I'm. Uh, I don't know whether I can do it, and yet, you know, all I have to do is just worry about today, and and no day is so bad that I can't handle just one day of it, you know. Uh, and sometimes I just work till well, I'll just you know, I'll just hang in there till noon, and then I'll make another decision at that time, you know. And I've never had to really go back, cut it down more than that. So, you know, it it's it's pretty good, and and it's, this is just the tool I picked up from uh, from you people, you know, in in meetings and. It's nothing. It's no original thinking on my part, and I guess maybe that was what uh, is what what makes it work. Is that you know we we don't have to be original. We don't have to be perfect. All we have to do is just listen to the winners and see how they're doing. And every now and then, an original idea comes up, and we can hang on to it. And everybody can you know ride the wave of its success. You know if it works, and if it doesn't work, you know don't have to follow it. But uh, you know that's kind of what I do, and. Uh, I'm getting some pretty good quality sobriety. I, I don't really think it's necessary to qualify myself. I've been around for six years, but I haven't been sober, you know, half that long. So 
know, I worked the program the wrong way for about three and a half years. And uh, it wasn't until I got, you know, finally willing to go at any length to stay sober that uh, a change happened, you know. And it wasn't until that point and when I asked God for help that uh, that I started staying sober. And, it, you know, it was pretty neat. It was, I'd been looking for all kinds of combinations, anything that would work except, you know, absolute abstinence. And uh, anything that would work short of asking God for help, because I didn't believe God would, was listening. I didn't believe He would help if He was listening. I thought I was beyond redemption, you know. Uh, but I wasn't, you know. And all I did was came back to AA one more time, you know, and listened, listened just a little bit better one more time, and uh, started hearing, you know, and started seeing people that were staying sober, and I got just a a little bit of faith. You know, there's a guy in Eugene where I got sober who uses that. He says, you know, they, they told him when he first came, they said, Dale, if you got that much faith, you can stay sober. You know, and he, and he always says all he could see was two fingers, you know, and when he told me that, you know, I looked, I, that's all I saw too, was two fingers. And it wasn't until, you know, a few weeks later that I kind of got the idea, well, there's something in between there, you know, and it's just a little bit, it's just just an idea, you know, that uh, I can do what he did, you know, and uh, by listening to his story and his hearing his drunk log, uh, you know, I got the faith that, you know, it wasn't any harder for him than it would be for me, or it wouldn't be any harder for me than it was for him, so, you know, I tried it, and I just worked it one day at a time, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm really tickled with being sober, I, I like the challenge of staying sober. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, and, you know, uh, I like it. Uh, it. It never seems to be a worthwhile goal. I thought, God, what a drag, how boring it's going to be. Uh, it's not that way at all. Uh, I have the feeling that there's there's always something exciting, you know, just around the corner. You know, if it's not happening right now, and then, you know, something good is going to happen just so long as I stay sober. And, I, you know, I have that feeling. I got that feeling... Real quick after my last drunk, and and it hasn't gone away. You know, some days it's you know farther away than others, but I still got that feeling. You know, maybe it's that pink cloud. I don't know. I'm not sure I ever went up on one, but uh, I you know I just got that feeling that good things are going to happen. And all I can say is, you know, working the twelve steps has been what's given me this quality of sobriety that I that has been so totally different from any sobriety I ever had before. And, you know, trying to do God's will. And, it, and it's a fight, you know. I In the morning I ask God, you know, to show me His will, and I ask Him for the power to carry it out. And uh, I'm usually doing that when I'm running, so, you know, I'm kind of fragmented and I, I don't think too well. But I've, I've planted that, I've planted that idea, or replanted that idea in the back of my brain, you know, every morning. And, uh, and then when things start going wrong, I remember, oh yeah, you know, I asked to do God's will, not my will, you know, and I asked God to show me His will. And, uh, I made a commitment to turn my will over to God, and, uh, I better get to do it. So then I, you know, have to make some readjustments in the day, and, you know, that, at that point things get back in line and start, you know, looking a little bit better. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a conscious effort for me to try and be aware of God's will. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real selfish person, a real egotistical person. I, you know, I want what I want when I want it. 
you know, and I don't want to grow. You know, I'm real resistant to any kind of growth. Uh, and uh, I, but I know, you know, from what I see of the winners, that uh, the quality of sobriety comes from the growth. You know, and working the steps and your conscious contact with God. I have to do that. You know, so uh, I don't know. I don't really know quite how to run this meeting. Um, I'm kind of up here, and I don't want to be. I don't want this to be a speaker's meeting at all. You know, and it's not. It's not quite the the way it was, the the comfortable way that I usually run a meeting. But uh, I think what I'll do is just ask for volunteers, and if I don't hear any, I'll just you know have to call on people, and that's okay because we're a real. This is a real small group, and uh, it's not so bad being up here. You know, I mean, it's not really scary at all. It's it, it's kind of fun. Uh, you know, the, when there when there are a lot of people, it really gets scary. But this is pretty easy. Maybe I'll maybe I'll start with Gary here. It was already up here. So. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks, Ron. Well, uh, good morning again, friend. Uh, so far, it's been pretty easy. I just had to to read from uh, from the textbook, and and uh, there's some more I want to read here uh, from. Uh, the chapter into action, it says, Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions, which is in keeping with the, the theme of the meeting. And one of the definite and valuable suggestions and I'd like to talk a little bit about how I've found it uh, valuable to myself, is that it says, and goes on for three paragraphs, that says, On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, <clears throat> dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. And how true I have found that in my life, that by getting my, my mind, uh, employing my mind for, for higher, higher thoughts, uh, the results uh, have, have shown themselves in my life. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here, we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. Well, we don't struggle. And that, and that is, uh, for me, one of the greatest things in Alcoholics Anonymous, is, is, that it, is that it's not a fight, you know, it's not a fight anymore. For me, it was a fight. I was, I, I was a, I was a fighter. I was a warrior for 10, 11, 12 years as a, as a practicing alcoholic, cross addicted, living on the street and wheeling and dealing. It was a fight. It was a struggle. And here, I don't have to struggle anymore. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. 
we might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely on it. Uh, I have a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous who uh, has accumulated to 26 or 27 years of continuous sobriety. I, I recently uh, quit a job that uh, I... I established a record on this job. I never worked at any one place for for uh, as long as I worked at this particular job, and uh, the record was 18 months. <laughs> uh, I didn't get my first job till I was 26 years old, so I mean you can understand. Uh, I, and I was I was confused at the time. I mean I felt just terrible in the job. I had I had. Uh, I'd run out of gas, and uh, it was uh, it was a fairly high-pressure uh, selling job, and uh, just I was totally unmotivated. Uh, I found that I found that I wasn't motivated by by the dollars. I found I wasn't motivated anymore by the uh, the, the type of uh, service that the product I was selling could offer, and uh, but here I was with a mortgage and a bank loan and. Uh, uh, a lease vehicle and uh, obligations that, I, and I didn't know what to do, and I and I had a decision to make about leaving this job, and I and I and I phoned my sponsor up and I said, "Look, I've decided to quit my job." And he said, "That's fine." He said, "That's fine," and I said, "Well, you know, I don't know if it's the right decision or not." And he says, "Look," he says, "You don't make any wrong decisions. You're sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't make wrong decisions anymore." And uh, yeah. And he says, yeah. He says, it may, it may not always be the right decision, uh, um, or it may not always be a... a, a, a what, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how he put it. He says, but it's not a bad decision. He says, you can't make bad decisions anymore. The fact that you made a decision is in itself good. And that uh, I've come to rely on, on this uh, uh, inspiration that... Uh, that when I when I hear from within a voice that 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 says, "Look, you know, you, it's time to move on. There's another thing, another job for you to do. Just pack this one in and go on." Uh, I've found it to be true that when I listen to that voice, when I listen to that that hunch, that inspiration, that I can rely on it as being accurate. And part of this comes about from from a, a daily morning practice of. Uh, Considering my day ahead and asking that God's will be uh, be in my life, we usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. I was explaining to Rodney uh, yesterday uh, about how uh, in, a, in a period in my sobriety, some uh, about a year ago, uh, I found uh, that, uh, that my, uh, my personal, uh, my life 
my home life, my family life, that is uh, my marriage and uh, the, the way I was working my program, uh, it was getting really rocky. And, and then uh, I found uh, I, I found myself uh, uh, quickly separated. My wife walked out the door, and it uh, it left me sitting there to reflect on on what I'd been doing. And at that point, I had been I had been praying uh, religiously, if you like, uh, for four and a half years. I had I had established a a practice, a, a daily ritual of praying in the morning and in the evening before going to bed. And in my morning prayers, I, I had somehow, looking back on it, divorced myself from from this these suggestions, these very definite and valuable suggestions, to the point where I was asking God, you know, uh, like I was a captain and he was a lieutenant and, and he was going to do what I told him to do because, you know, this I was down there on my knees every morning praying and that this was how things were going to go today. God, you know, we got to get this done, we got to get that done. And, of course, he had stopped listening to me. And here I was still going through the ritual, the rigmarole, every morning down on my knees and he had given up like months previous to this about hearing what I had to say, and of course I wasn't listening to what he had to say back. The point is that we ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. And my prayers were selfish prayers, and I understood that, especially when my wife walked out the door. And I I experienced the... uh, uh, the pain of separation that, uh, that, that, that happens when, when, uh, people who've had a loving and caring relationship, uh, drift apart. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's no different than, the, than in the outside world, you know, when, when the, when the realities of life are, are, are there for all people, uh, mothers and fathers pass away and, uh, uh, aunts and uncles and, uh, tragedy takes place and, uh, you know, the bill collector comes and the sheriff comes to evict you. All those, you know, things that happen, you know, I, um, those realities. I uh, have had to do a lot of thinking for myself in, in, that, in that area. But it says, and I love this book, you know, it's just it's so tremendous. It's, it's really pragmatic you know it's a, it's a, it's, a re, it, it's there it's so practical it's so when all else fails follow the directions uh, this is what i've found we may ask for ourselves however if others will be helped we are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work you can easily see why so here it is, uh, uh, a way of life, and one that I have adopted and found that is a workable, a workable program. It's one that uh, is practical, uh, easy to follow, uh, providing it, that I follow it and 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 uh, uh, to the letter. You know? It it always tells me uh, uh, if I if I'm 
you know, in these first 164 pages of this book, it always tells me, you know, what, what I will have to do and how I can do it. And it is precise. It, it, you know, it doesn't deviate. It doesn't give you any airy fairy stuff. It's, it's just absolutely precise. And, uh, well, that's, that's about all I have to say. I'm just, uh, I'm really glad to be here. I'm a visitor from uh, British Columbia and I'm most pleased to, to take part, uh, uh, in this AA conference. I, uh, attended a meeting last night, a local meeting, and experienced, just as I did on the first meeting I attended in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, comfortable. I felt good. I was glad to be there, and I felt at home. And I, and I, and I really love that in Alcoholics Anonymous, where I can experience that, uh, sense of comfortability that, uh, that comes from you people. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. It was really good to see Gary because uh, both the, he and I are uh, survivors of the late, great Haight-Ashbury, and I hadn't seen him from, oh, since about 1965 when we both got loaded on some uh, hallucinogens, and uh, he recognized me last night in the conference, and, it, you know, it's just really neat that here's somebody, you know, out from so far back, you know, and from such a... A, uh, you know, a far-out lifestyle would still be alive, you know, and he was wondering the same thing about me, wondering if I was still alive. You know, that's, that's part of the miracle, you know. Um, does anybody want to speak? Hi, Karen. My name's Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hi Chris. Uh, I'm from Bellevue, and I'm really glad to be here. Um, this awakening subject is... Uh, really uh, pretty meaningful for me this morning. Um, I'm not going to go into my drunk log. It's, um, it's not that exciting. <laughs> I, however, realize that I'm the only one that can tell it. And it took me a long time to realize that. I was in the program about six weeks when my sponsor said, you are the only person that can tell your story. And even though it doesn't sound as exciting as some other people, um, it's still your story. And I have not been in the program that long. However, I feel that um, it's the quality of my sobriety that is uh, more important than my length in time here. Um, I've had a lot of awakening this week and a lot of self-realization that um, my higher power has certain areas and certain designs for me that I don't know much about, but, and I really am not going to question what he's doing with my life right now. Um, I only know that he is guiding me and he has allowed me to experience some real emotional feelings that I thought I could deal with. And, uh, I discovered that my program was the most important thing in my life and that I was responsible only for my sobriety and taking care of Chris for a while. And it's very comfortable to realize that. It does feel good. Uh -huh. um, long time, uh, especially during my drinking days, uh, my attitude was a little misindependent. I can do it very well myself. Thank you very much. 
And I ran my life like that. And uh, I prayed to God a lot for all the wants. And it seems like the only time I ever prayed to him was when I wanted something. And of course, I never got it. Um, or I got the reverse, and that didn't make me feel too good. And so I was under the impression that God um, had disconnected his line to me. And so I just kind of ignored him and went merrily along doing my own thing. And I got in a lot of trouble from it, a lot of pain. Um, I didn't lose anything except uh, a very good and healthy vanity. Um, a lot uh, a lot of folks said, well, uh, your, your life was really pretty easy. You didn't lose a job or a husband or kids or a house or any neat and wonderful things that everybody else, but you really have to hit a bottom. My bottom was an emotional bottom, and I didn't realize that until I got into the program. In my first AA meeting, I was hearing all of these things that had happened to people to get them to AA, and I was truly afraid that they would not let me go back because my life had not been what I considered from hearing other people that bad. But it taught me that it can be that bad, and I remember that, and I'm very grateful to people who get up and say that they've been in prison they've been to mental institutions or they tried to slice their wrists or they've lost everything because it makes me very aware that I can have all of those wonderful, neat, terrific things if I so desire to go out and research the subject more. And I remember that every day upon getting up. I only take it one day at a time. That's all I've got. And my sobriety is only one day at a time. And I realize... Um, Another thing I realized this week, too, was um, I haven't got anything more than anybody else in this program. Regardless if they've got 15 years or 20 years or 29 years, we all have one day of sobriety, one day at a time, and we're only one drink away from, from not having it anymore. Um, like Rod, I, I run... And it's really hard for me. But while I'm doing that, I say the serenity prayer, and I ask for guidance in my daily life, and I have to continually ask for it because it's not easy. I don't like having to think that um, somebody else is directing me, regardless of who it is. At least that's the way I spend a lot of my time. But it's comforting to know and it's really easy to say, oh, well, let HP take care of it, you know, just turn it over to him. But I have to stop and say that it is important because if I don't allow my higher power to direct me, I'm going to get myself into a lot of trouble. And four years of self-will is not easily erased. And, but every day it gets better. And uh, I'm really grateful to be here. Um, there's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why this whole last week has happened to me. Um, I've been traveling a lot, and those, that was one of the things that I had prayed to God for. You know, you have to be careful what you pray for, because I found out I don't really like traveling all that well. I don't like jumping in and out of airplanes three times a week. <laughs> And I don't like having to recover three, for three days. And I don't like being away from my meetings. 
and I have to um, carry my big book and my 12 by 12 and my 24 hours a day and all this other literature because where I'm at and who the people I'm with does not allow me the time to go to AA meetings. And I've managed to sneak away to some, uh, but I just covet my time alone and in my room and during meals to read that literature because it's very important to me. And uh, that was a real awakening, too, because I went one uh, one trip and I didn't have that literature. And I almost went crazy. Um, so I hopped myself down to the nearest Alamo Club and got some. Um, I guess that's about all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks, okay. Chris. Thank you, Chris. Bob D., would you like to say something? <clears throat> My name's Bob. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Bob. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, this is the second uh, Young People's Roundup I've been to. Uh, my third time in the last six years in this hotel, and uh, the last two were functions of Alcoholics Anonymous. The one before that I don't believe we ought to talk about. Uh, it is reminiscent of my life the way that it used to be. Uh, I kind of like to reflect in this program on the things that I learned recently when I speak at a, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oftentimes it would seem to me that those learning experiences are much too far apart. I believe, however, that I oftentimes am responsible for that. Uh, I was reflecting a little bit uh, on my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, based on a comment that I heard on the way out of the meeting last night from a guy who says, God, I get sick and tired of listening to those drunkologues. And I'd be less than honest if I didn't tell you that I, too, get a little tired of listening to drunkologues. But I do have to remember what my sponsor told me in regard to drunkologues, uh, my own in particular. That was that only I can tell that story. Secondly, that that helps me to remember where I came from. And I don't want to forget where I came from. It's a very easy thing for me to do, however. Uh, I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in 1967 for all the wrong reasons. My wife was on my back, my employer was on my back, my parents were on my back. And I thought perhaps by going to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous it would get them all off my back. And uh, a man was to pick me up for that meeting. He didn't show up and I immediately got very resentful over that fact. These people were supposed to care about you and this guy couldn't even make an appearance. But I got to the meeting and I was very, very frightened. But I did go in and I sat down and I was scared to death that they were going to call on me because I didn't know what I was going to say. Uh, fortunately, they didn't, and that pissed me off because I really had something to say, but I really didn't know what it was either. Uh, and I heard very few things, mainly because I didn't go there to listen to what was being said. But I do remember them talking about the yet, you know. And I remember the happy, smiling faces and the sparkle in the eyes and those kinds of things. But uh, I think it was about three days off a of drunk that I went to that meeting, and I was still shaking rather badly and feeling physically quite poor. And I remember walking out of that meeting thinking that, you know, that's probably very good for those people. But I noticed that the level of intelligence in that room was just a little bit beneath mine. 
And that's the insanity of my disease. That is the insanity then, that is the insanity now, to even begin to uh, follow that kind of a line of thought. Here are happy, sober people living some kind of a reasonable life. And I'm walking out thinking how stupid they are. But I was going to handle it, and I did. I continued to handle it in and out of the state hospital about 18 times. And I remember one of the happiest days of my life was when the, uh, in, in Damage State Hospital, they had a, uh, a semi-weekly meeting uh, to discuss prognosis on various patients were there. And in my 14th, I believe it was my 14th trip through there, one of the aides who'd become a fairly close personal friend of mine and tried to help me a great deal came to me. And I used to go to him after these meetings and say, what is my prognosis? And my first trip through there, he says, your prognosis is very favorable. It's hopeful. Well, on this particular trip, he says, your prognosis is hopeless. You're a hopeless alcoholic. And that's just exactly what I wanted to hear. Because I didn't know and didn't realize that there was a way for me to stay sober. I had, in fact, made an honest effort on several occasions to get sober, to stay sober. Or at least what I felt was an honest effort. I didn't want to hurt my wife. I didn't want to hurt the people that loved me. I didn't want to do the kinds of things that I did. But I didn't know how to stop. And every time that I tried, it would be okay for a month or 60 days or 90 days. And in one miserable instance, six months of sobriety, or at least abstaining from alcohol. But you get a little, or I did anyway, I got a little jingle in the pocket, and things started to move a little bit, and a man in, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous in Eugene, and I, I quote him frequently in regard to this, he says, the ego has amazing recuperative powers. It will raise its ugly head at the slightest provocation. And it took me a long time to understand what he was talking about in regard to that. But today I do understand it, and that's exactly what happened to me. What do I need with that Alcoholics Anonymous? What do I need with that treatment center? What do I need with any of this? I got some money in my pocket. I'm doing all right. My wife has come back to me. I might as well go out and have just one. And one, as you know, leads to two, and so on, and so on, and so on. I would, in fact, uh, manage to abstain from alcohol for long enough, generally, to pull myself up by the bootstraps to a degree, but never for any uh, any length of time, and there was never any happiness or, or anything fulfilling about the fact that I stayed away from alcohol for those short periods of time. But when this prognosis of hopeless was delivered to me, I felt very, very good about it. Because then I no longer needed to try and maintain any sobriety. I no longer needed to try to get sober. I was hopeless. I didn't have any trouble admitting that I was an alcoholic. And as an alcoholic, I decided there was no way for me to quit drinking. Therefore, I would drink and continue to drink, but I would try to do as little damage as possible during these drinking sprees. Well, any, if any of you be alcoholic like I am, doing as little damage as possible is an also insanity. Uh, a little damage was not in, in the books for me because I always did a great deal of damage. The wreckage of my past is scattered very, very far throughout the country. I drank myself in handling this alcoholic problem into the penitentiary for 32 months. Reached a point in my drinking career where I could no longer work and drink. Therefore, I couldn't do both, and, but when I drank, I needed income to support that drinking process. 
And I discovered very early that writing checks was a very simple thing, that people would trust you. And I wrote lots and lots of them and finally ended up in the penitentiary. They told me when I got to the penitentiary that uh, that I should go to Alcoholics Anonymous because that's what was going to get me out. It didn't make any difference whether it did me any good, uh, but that's what the, the people who knew about those things wanted to see on paper is some kind of a reasonable effort to rehabilitate yourself. So I went to Alcoholics Anonymous once a week, every Sunday, and I got up and I talked the talk, and I listened to the people came in and I, that came in from the outside, and I didn't believe a word of what any of them had to say. I went to a conference in Bend, Oregon, which was my first experience. This was a, a, a weekend pass out of the penitentiary. It was my first experience with hearing something in Alcoholics Anonymous that really stopped me cold. It was a fellow by the name of Johnny Harris from California, and for two and a half hours you could hear a pin drop in that auditorium. And I left that conference with all kinds of commitments and all kinds of good feelings about, he did it, I can do it, I want to be just like that guy. And I got out of the penitentiary and I began to drink again. And it went like that for about another two and a half years. Two and a half, three years ago, I ended up in a local detoxification facility in Eugene, Oregon called the Buckley House. And I was probably as sick as I've ever been. I'd been drinking for about 30 days, which was not an unusually long time for me. I believe today that my higher power, who I prefer to call God, found it necessary to make me sicker than I've ever been in that process. There were people who worked in that facility who felt that I probably would not live through the first night that I was there, and I made two trips to the hospital that night. I don't know that I perhaps would ever believe that that was the case. Nonetheless, I remember laying in a bed in that Buckley house, and after m coming off many, many, many drunks, I knew that physically I would get well again, that the shakes would go, that the headache would go, that physically I, I would recover because I always had before. But generally when I prayed, I prayed that the physical sickness would leave me so that I could get back out in that world and start pulling myself up by the bootstraps again. This time I prayed a little differently. I prayed that after the physical sickness left me, that God would show me a way to stay sober. I was very, very fortunate in that Buckley house to meet a man who was a counselor there who is today my sponsor and has been since I got sober. And I can only say in reflecting on that and trying to understand what happened other than the grace of God is that I finally got stupid enough to listen to somebody that knew something about staying sober. And he talked to me about God, and I didn't want to hear about God, because if there was a God, I knew he didn't want anything to do with me. And he talked to me about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and how it had saved his life. And he made it very, very simple for me. He talked to me in words that I could understand, the all-intelligent folk that I was. He said, Bob, you have a big black dog inside of you and a little white dog. And he says, they're fighting like hell. And he says, which one do you think is going to win? Well, being of above average intelligence, naturally the black dog was larger. And I said, the black dog. And he said, no, whichever dog you feed the most. And that was a revelation to me. You know. And today, when I get into bad space, I make a mental picture of feeding the white dog. And it helps. 
And he told me, go to 90 meetings in 90 days and keep your mouth shut and listen because you don't know anything about it. Nobody ever talked to me that way before unless it was a jailer and he could get away with it. And for the first time in my life, I didn't question, I didn't analyze, I didn't try to rationalize. I had a desire to stop drinking. I went to the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I kept my mouth shut and I listened. And because I knew when I walked into a meeting that I didn't have anything to say, and incidentally, you'd never know that I never had anything to say today. I like to talk about this program. But because I knew that I wasn't going to say anything, I didn't spend the majority of that meeting trying to figure out what I was going to say that was going to impress the hell out of everybody. So I heard what was being said, like first things to first, and easy does it. And there's 12 steps to this program, and you got to work them all. And they are in order, and they're in order for a reason. And I heard things like, I can't do it, God can, I think I'll let him. Now that, for me, is very simple, see, real simple. And miracles began to take place in my life. And that's the only way that I can explain it, absolute miracles. I looked at character defects, and I said, what's your worst? Because I didn't know where to start, there were so damn many. And I decided that it was my complete inability to ever tell the truth. So I started getting a little bit honest, and I'd like to recall a little story just as an example of honesty and how it began to work for me when I tried it. My sponsor, my wife, and I were driving down the street about two weeks sober, and I'd written a bad check to a restaurant. And I told my wife, I said, you got to call those people and run a story on them. Tell them your, your husband's an alcoholic, he's in treatment, and he hasn't got the money to pay for the check, but he will, and so on and so forth. My sponsor says, why don't you call them? And I said, well, that's ridiculous. They'll never believe me. Well, he was in my living room, and he said, go to the telephone and call those people. Tell them, you're an alcoholic, you wrote them a bad check, you don't have the money, and so on. Well, he was sitting right there, and I had to tell the truth over the phone. And the lady, the bookkeeper of the restaurant, told me, she said, when you have the money, pay the money. If you don't, simply call. She was very, very nice about it. So honesty began to work for me just a little bit, and it began to get a little bit easier for me to tell the truth. And the miracles just kept coming. They kept happening. They kept happening. Many, many awakenings. Uh, happy times. Exuberant times for me in my life. I did not know that there was a way to stay sober and maintain a certain degree of happiness in that process. People talked to me about the rewards and the promises of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, hey, I'm going to hang around. I'll get a new house, a new car, a hundred thousand. Uh, happy times, exuberant times for me in my life. I did not know that there was a way to stay sober and maintain a certain degree of happiness in that process. People talked to me about the rewards and the promises of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said, hey, I'm going to hang around. I'll get a new house, a new car, a $100,000 a year job. And ironically, those things came too, but those are not what I recognize as the rewards of this program today. It's the new people coming into this program, listening, families reunited, lives saved. And that's the only way that I can express it today, is this program saved my life. I can't begin to tell you what it was really like for me. I didn't want to be what I was. I didn't like myself. I drank because I didn't know what I wanted to be, or I couldn't be what I wanted to be, but I didn't know what I wanted to be. And when I drank, I could be anything. You know, if the guy next to me was a brain surgeon at the bar stool, I wrote the book that taught him how. The magic allowed me to be what I couldn't be or what I didn't think I could be. And everything, as Johnny Harris puts it, was wonderful, wonderful for two and a half years. 
financial success. We bought the houses. We bought the cars. All those things happened. And I heard people talk about pink clouds. And I said, well, I've never been on one. It's cool. I'm mellow with this process. And I heard about tests of faith. And I'd been a few of them, through a few of them, but never anything significant. And I kept wondering about this all of these things being heaped upon me and I kept thanking God for them and I kept trying to maintain that humility. And in 60 days time, my world collapsed entirely. My wife would come to me and she'd say, what are we going to do? We're not going to have any money. And I'd say, I don't know. But I know we'll always have a roof over our head. We'll always have something to eat. We'll, etc., etc. And it began to really gnaw at me and I began to think drink. And I share this because it made such a tremendous impression on me after two and a half years, which I do not consider a a lengthy sobriety. But after two and a half years of sobriety, the insanity and the madness comes back and can come back that fast. And it did for me. We were in Yahats, Oregon, in a restaurant. I used to do a lot of drinking down there. And the obsession to take a drink hit me. And I used to say, the obsession to take a drink has been removed from me and never be back again. Well, the obsession is removed contingent on my spiritual maintenance program, my daily maintenance program. And the obsession hit me. I wasn't making a lot of meetings. I wasn't working a real strong program. I was walking around in a daze wondering what the hell happened to my little world or my big world, as the case may be. And the obsession to take a drink hit me. I thought, what am I going to do? I really want to take a drink. And it sounded so good. God, it sounded good. A drink really sounded good to me. I had a few thousand dollars in the bank, and I thought to myself, uh, I'll go back to Eugene from this town. I'll get down to the bank. I'll get that money. And then I thought, I really should talk to my wife about this. I really shouldn't take a drink. And I thought, but if I do mention it to her, that's going to alert her, and she'll probably make the bank before I will, and then I won't make it to Reno after all. And that's the insanity of the alcoholism as it as it relates to me. That stinking thinking, those those absurd kinds of things that came back, and it dawned on me. What do you do before you take a drink in Alcoholics Anonymous? Talk to your sponsor. And I was white knuckles from Yahats to Eugene, Oregon. And I got to Eugene, Oregon, and I was going to charter a plane and fly to Bend to see my sponsor. But I got involved with some other things. I got my ass to a meeting that night, and I listened to what was being said in that meeting, and I began to relate to the program, to what it was, to how I could stay sober. And through that whole process, the one thing that I could not develop, that I was always able to develop before, was that I don't give a shit attitude, you see, because this program and the grace of God has allowed me to adopt an attitude that says, hey, I do care. Today I have many, many things to not only be grateful for, but things that I don't want to lose. And I don't mean that in a material sense. I mean that I have a little self-respect. My children can look up to me, you know. The people that knew me when can be a little bit proud of what I've been doing and what's happening in my life today. And I can feel good about Bob. I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore. And those things to me are very, very important today, and I don't want to lose those things. It was amazing to me that the insanity of this disease could strike me so quickly and so thoroughly, again so fast. But through it all, I learned, if nothing else, and this is a big thing for me, that I don't have to get drunk today. 
There is no reason in this world that I have to get drunk today. I know what to do to stay sober. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. That's a daily maintenance program. And it's a hell of a fine feeling to know that today I don't have to get drunk. It is not necessary for me to take a drink. This program can prevent that if I simply do the things that I'm directed to do and read the simple instructions in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'll leave you with something that I have found very, very valuable that came from a man who'd been sober 29 years. He said, it's too bad that the people that quit coming to meetings aren't around to see what happens to the people that quit coming to meetings. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Uh, can we hear from the gentleman behind you? Good morning. My name is Tim. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Tim. It's been just a little over a year. Because last year, about this time, is the first time I ever attended this. That's when I had it in Vancouver. And it was there where I, where I grasped the hole of something and I wanted to stay sober. I don't know why I made it so difficult for myself. I don't want people try to talk to me about alcoholic synonymous with kind of a shot to my pride. But I enjoyed myself there. I like seeing the happy faces and I wondered what these people had for about 10, 12 years, maybe longer, of how I lied to myself, cheated myself, and all the wasted time I spent in bars, the state to state, city to city. But I can relate to the gentleman who was up here before I was of how I get all shook up. And it only takes a dime. There's a phone call away. I got into one of these little tests, little episodes where I was all shook up. Seemed like nothing was going my way. I was this self-pity thing. I've called my sponsor. I've called two or three other people that I know that I go to meetings. I go to meetings every day. That's what can I do to combat this? It's, I feel like I'm on an urge to drink. It's, I want to drink so bad. And I said, I damn near got my year in. Said, Did you drink yet? And I said, no. Well, don't drink and go to a meeting. And I didn't want to hear that because I knew damn well he's going to tell me that. So I called two other people. And he says, have you drinking yet, Tim? And I said, no. I said, don't drink. Go to a meeting. And I said, Jesus Christ, I've already heard that. He said, give me something that's me. Something that I want to hear. But in order to do this, you know, I have to go to meeting after meeting. On weekends, I go to three. But this is the way I had to develop a pattern. I come out of a halfway house here in Portland. I wanted to stay sober. But I didn't attend enough meetings when I first left there. I just went to those two meetings a week, and then that was wrong. When I stay away from three, four days without a meeting, I start to feel miserable. 
Make everybody else around me miserable as hell. I know when I first went to, hey, I'd done the wrong things. I never listened. It's like I was planning during the meeting what I was going to say that when I was called upon, just like blackout, man, I couldn't think of nothing to say. So I waited another week, and I prepared all week again. I wrote down on paper what I was going to say, and goddamn, was the candlelight beating, he turned off the lights, and I couldn't read what I was going to say. <laughs> and this kind of cured me of, of to listen. So I started all over again. I ripped that old sheet up, and I started all over again. I went to 90 meetings, 90 days, and that's all I did was listen. And it seems to me, I've heard my story told over and over again, and I've gone to, and I go to seven different meetings, seven days. And I could relate to a lot of these people. I know one of my own family, my mother, my sisters, tried to tell me about AA. I resented it. My mother's been at the program for 19 years. And when I start working my own program, keeping it simple as possible, go to a lot of meetings, I find it a lot easier. I do set goals for myself, but later on in life, I don't set them too far where I can't reach them, because if I do, I'll forget what I'm trying to do today, and I stay sober. I'm first. They say this program is a selfish program, and I believe it. So I come first. I remember when I first got out of treatment, I was gung-ho, I wanted to help everybody, but I got to realize I got to help myself first. I remember when I first came into this program about a little over a year ago, I read some place where I cannot take another drink for the rest of my life. My God, I'm only 31 years old. I cannot take another drink. When I stepped over that imaginary line, it was very difficult for me to accept the fact that I was an alcoholic and really mean it from inside. It took me a long time to sit and listen to these old-timers. I've got a good friend in Vancouver. He always, he's always saying slow growth is a healthy growth. And whenever I'm down and out, you know, I surround myself with these people. I've been sober 20, 30 years. I call them up, and they're there. It only takes me about 20 minutes to get to Vancouver. And this never happened to me while I was drinking. Nobody gave a damn if I was made to a tavern or a bar or not. But it's surprising um, how these people care for you. I mean, if you don't take that first drink and call me. So it's very, I think it took a lot of guts for me to, to make that first phone call because I thought I had it. I was sober six, seven months and I thought I had the world by the tail. I drank because she came away alive. I thought it was fun in my younger years in school. Yeah, you get an Indian off the reservation, like a little kid in Toy Story, you know. He has to try everything, no matter what it costs. I could think of 50 different ways to get a drink, but I couldn't think of one way of getting sober and staying sober until I found this program. I know today i got to realize if I want to continue to stay sober, so I got to come to these meetings for the rest of my life. 
and I've got to come because I want to. I know my sponsor told me that the two times ago the meeting is when you really want to and when you don't want to. I remember when I first sobered up, I think I was sober about two months, I wanted a job right away. I wanted material things. And he kind of, kind of dropped a hint. He told me flat out, you're putting material things ahead of your sobriety if you want to continue to stay sober. But, used to, uh, used to kind of piss me off. Seemed like those guys who knew what I was thinking. They knew I was setting myself up for a drink. It seemed like they was opening my mail. They knew, seemed to know what I was thinking. I could remember at one time, I attended six different meetings and six different nights. And six times I've heard the importance of attending meetings. And I kind of kind of went on a guilt trip. So how did they know that I didn't go to no meeting for six, seven days? How did they know? They didn't, because I, I, I asked that chairman, so how did you know? They said, we did. It's just something that came out. The importance of attending AA meetings if you want to stay sober. I know I could. The last stages, my drinking, you know, it feels good to know when it's day and when it's when it's night. Because I can remember one time just before I left from back east, I got up work, went went to the regular cocktail lounge we was at. I knew we was there. You know, I was feeling pretty good when I went home and I passed out, but I woke up and it was 6.30. I rushed around, got ready, walked out of the bus stop, ready to get going to work and standing at the bus stop, the street lights come on. You know, in the summertime when it starts getting, where the evening starts to look like early in the morning. I just keep in mind the first step I'm powerless over alcohol in my life come on match with white drink. If I don't take that first step and really mean it, the rest ain't going to work whatsoever. Because uh, I don't want to die that slow death. I'm proud of what I've accomplished in a short time. And I felt I worked very hard at it. And I just hope to be back for a lot more of these. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Jeff, would you like to speak? This is kind of a first. He never gets to speak because he's always sitting there taping everybody, so I thought we'd bring him in. Come on up. Well, good morning, folks. My name's Jack, and I'm an alcoholic. We're talking about the first thing we do on awakening in the morning. It's taken me an awful long time to get to the place where I ever did, ever did anything that made my day any better. And that all started in AA. 
But I've come to the place where I recognize that my daily relationship with my power bigger than myself that I choose to call God is the most important thing there is in my day. And I'm like most human beings that I have witnessed on the AA program. We like to use God as kind of a genie, you know. When we're in trouble, we rub the <laughs> and rub ourselves out of it. And the rest of the time, when things are going just passably well, why we take care of it ourselves. And I have learned that the only freedom that I will ever have in this life is doing the will of God. I didn't know what freedom was. I thought freedom was having to do what I wanted to do. Now you analyze that. When we have to do what we want to do, regardless of what it does to us, that makes a victim of us, not freedom. And I finally came to realize that in AA, that God's will for me today is for my good in all things. And it turns me free to have a wife and a home and a job and a car and self-respect. And I can even remember what happened last night. Now that's freedom. And I thought that was being square all the years, all the years that I, before AA. And so I recognize today that uh, my daily relationship is the important thing in my life. The important thing. Now there's several, there's several ways to go about this. I, I discovered for myself in AA that I can't get active answers to prayer until I want what I pray for to happen. But there are steps in this wanting. It's like getting an education. You start in the first grade and you go on through college. Now, there isn't any time in that period of time that you're not a student. Whether you're in the first grade or whether you're in the 15th grade, it doesn't make any difference. You're a student. And that's what God wants. He wants us on the road. And I've discovered that this wanting, really wanting deep within me the things that God wants of me and that I pray about, like I would like to be sober today and things like this, I found that the way to get answered to prayer was to come to an active mental agreement with myself. When I ask for sobriety today and I really don't want to be sober, I admit that to God. I really don't want to be sober. But I want to be free today. And so I make a choice. And I come to you with this choice. I ask you to keep me sober today because it's best for me and I know that you want it that way. And he answers prayer under those kind of conditions. When I understand that I don't want it, but that I choose it. And so this has rearranged my whole prayer life. 
I used to pray and pray and pray and pray and then nothing ever happened. Oh, it was, it was horrible. And that was the reason. I had myself all BS'd into the notion that I really wanted these answers to this prayer and I didn't want it. Now why is that? I came to this conclusion that the greatest gift that my God has given me is the power of choice. And that gets mighty heavy for a rebel like me to have the power of choice. I'd be better off if I didn't have it. But I do have it, and he will not interfere with it. And if I don't want answered to prayer, he would be taking from me the power of choice if he answered that prayer. And he can't do that. I have learned that my God was the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. And he has, he set this whole thing up on express rules. And that's the only way that it can work. Now, you see, the only way that I could live is to do it sober. And I damn near died proving that to me. And the only way that I can be happy is to do it God's way according to his rules because he set it up that way. Well, I'm mighty glad that I have learned these things about the relationship with God and how important it is. There's one other vital point to me. I was always a victim of the urgent. Oh, I just got to do this, and I just got to do that, and I got to do the other things, and, and the important things I kept putting off. Like this daily relationship with God, I'd clean my toenails, you know, or brush my teeth, or just do most anything that was more important. Right now, I had to get this done, the victim of the urgent. And I was that victim for years and years and years and years, and I always let the important things go by. And then one day at AA, I made a startling discovery that all of these urgent things ain't anything more than what I want to do. And if I want to do it, why, that's what makes it urgent. And I, being a rebel, want to cut my own damn throat. That's what it amounts to. I want to cut my own throat. And so I'm mighty glad that I've made these discoveries. I'd like to make the remark that, that, uh, it says on the, on the program that you have to have less than 43 years of sobriety, and I have. I got a little bit less than that. And I'm just tickled to death that there is AA, and I'm tickled to death for the people that are in it. God works through people. And that's why I'm here today. I like to be in and around and shot through with this fellow I call God because he, he's the only, he's the only way that I can make it. And that's freedom. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Um, would Lady in Brown Leather like to speak? No? How about the man next to you? Would you like to speak? My name's Tom, and I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. Hi, Tom. Wow, it's just really great to be here. 
last night I never knew I could have so much fun and not be drunk or high or on something. It was just really great. I've been sober since about last Sunday, and it's just really great to be here and to be sober and to be clean and to have hope and to, to have self-respect. Um, I never knew what that was like for a whole lot of years, and uh, I'm just starting to get a little taste of it, and it really tastes good. Um, I'm just, I don't know what to say. I'm just about ready to bust. <laughs> you know, I never really had to go through a lot of bad times, or, or I guess I had to go through enough, but not what a lot of people that are on the program have gone gone through. And I'm just really grateful, and I just really thank God that now, today, maybe uh, I don't have to, and maybe a lot of people don't have to lose everything they got to realize that they are alcoholic. I've still got my wife and my family, and I'm starting to get my self-respect and I'm starting to learn that that's all I need to make it. And I'm just just really glad to be here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. You're really welcome here, Tom. Keep coming back. Wendy, would you like to speak? Hi, I'm Wendy. I'm an alcoholic Natalie. Hi, Wendy. The main reason I came up here is uh, I'd like to remind everybody there's an NA meeting at 1130 in the Lewis and Clark room on the second floor. And we'd like to see all of you there. It's the only one we have that I know of during the convention. So I hope everybody can come. Thank you very much. Morning. Yeah. I guess that'll be this morning. Yeah. Okay. Diane. My name is Diane. I'm now calling. Hi, Diane. I've really been enjoying myself so far at the conference. Uh, I wanted to kick myself this morning when I wasn't up early enough. You know, I'm one of those convention people that has to be at all the meetings all the time, and I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm always in the wrong meeting when uh, something great is being said. You know. Um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> it's really good to be here, and um, I've been going through a lot of neat changes lately. And um, I like who I am today. And um, what the, the title was what? On Awakening. <laughs> On Awakening? Oh, okay. I thought it was something else. Okay, that's all right. <clears throat> See what uh, being late to a meeting gets you. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not awake yet. <laughs> uh, just about three months ago was my awakening. And um, since then, a lot of neat things have happened. Um, the most important of which is I, I ha now have myself. You know, uh, 
I am not handing myself to my job or to the people around me, you know, to give me self-worth, you know. Um, and that's really important. You know. uh, without self-worth, I can't make it in this program because if I don't like myself, why the hell am I staying sober? You know? um, today it's all for me. And uh, I was talking to my cousin recently, talking about the fact when I moved up here, I came up here to conquer the world. <laughs> and it didn't work out. And I found out that that's not what I'm supposed to conquer. i got to do this one first before I conquer that world out there, you know. And uh, so I'm conquering me instead, you know, and really digging it. You know? um, I finally realized that um, the way through women's live is um, <laughs> start with yourself. If I don't liberate myself from my own uh, chained feelings, you know, um, feelings of um, inadequacy, feelings of um, barriers, you know, um, feelings of, um, you know, uh, I, I can't think of any word for it. <laughs> Um, prejudice, whatever, you know. If they're within me, I can't go any farther, you know, until I realize my own self. And um, that's a big thing for me, you know, um, realizing how much I really am worth, you know. Not just as a sober alcoholic, but as a woman. And that's very important for me, you know. I have to realize who I am today, you know. Not just Diane, a member of AA, because for a long time that's all I ever was. That's all I could relate to, you know. Um, today I have a lot of different facets in my life, you know. And I, I really am, um, you know, opening up new horizons every day, and it's really neat. And I never would have been able to give myself permission to do this without sobriety, you know. I couldn't even meet anybody or talk to anybody when I was drunk, you know. Um, I was so afraid of people. You know, and today I'm really realizing who I am so that I, I'm not so afraid of people. You know? And, uh, I don't have that down pat either. <laughs> but I'm working on it a lot, you know. I, I'm in a position to apply for a job again. And I talked to a prospective employer. And God, I didn't have the cold sweats. I wasn't going crazy. I didn't want to run. You know, I just sat there and I was talking to another human being and it was really neat, you know. Um, I wasn't on the defense. You know? um, when I was drinking, I couldn't even go for a job interview, you know, because I was so paranoid and so petrified and so um, immobilized by my fears, you know. Um, well, God forbid that they shouldn't like me and on and on and on and on and on. Well, people just naturally like me. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm going to get the job, though. Liking me doesn't have anything to do with it. If I don't have the skill, I don't get the job. That's it, you know. Um, and I'm just, I'm just learning how to be human, you know. And it's really neat. Thanks. Thanks, Diane. I'm going to call on one more person, Vic from uh, Vancouver. My name is Vic, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Vic. You know, uh, upon awakening, who the hell's been to sleep yet, you know? <laughs> I've been up all night. 
And uh, we kept the meeting going all night, and it was fantastic, you know. And, uh, but uh, when I finally awoke in this program, I talked about this last night. You know, it's listening to a long praying record. It just goes over and over and over. But uh, I've only got that one story. And uh, I guess I finally awoke after I was in Alcoholics Anonymous for about a year and a half. And this happened at a conference. And it was in Lexington, Kentucky. And I was 25 and a half years old. And I was wandering around just looking for something. And it had never, never come. The gelling point had never reached in my sobriety. I was dry, but nothing had ever showed. And I went to a conference, and I heard a guy speak at this conference at dinner. And it was Jack B. from New York City at the time. He's now living in Kansas City. And this guy uh, laid on the line for me because he's the first guy I ever heard talking Alcoholics Anonymous that practically told my story. Not necessarily the rougher parts of his talk, but uh, the way he described himself when he was a kid. The time he was 16 years of age when he started drinking, and I was 16 years of age when I started drinking. The ungrounded, the unfounded fears this guy had. And I'd never heard anybody talk like this before. And as I sat at the meeting, I could feel just a complete difference coming over me. And it was just a fantastic feeling. I sat there with tears in my eyes, a thing I'd never done in my life before, you know, except in a mock-up with a cop or something if I was in a jackpot. Then the tears could flow. But I'd never cry for nothing. And uh, I was never brought up to cry. So uh, I sat there that night and I had tears in my eyes, and it was just tears of gratitude for just for my higher power to send me this guy and let me listen to him and let me know that I belonged here. Because I think this is what I was really looking for at the time. I was really looking for a place to fit in, and I finally found it. So uh, that's what happened when my life awakened. And it's it's been fantastic ever since. There's been no bed of roses, you know. Uh, my life's been up and down. And uh time I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've made big money, I've been on welfare... And I've been everywhere, you know. I've done a lot of living since I come into AA. I've known a lot of things. I've found out a lot of things. And it's just fantastic. The way I live today is uh, the things I try to apply to my life today are things that I've heard at these meetings like this by uh, just what my sponsor told me by sitting and listening, you know, and uh, taking in everything. You know, I've heard some people say, whatever you don't want, just throw away. He used to say, whatever you don't want, whatever you, doesn't suit you, just put it aside, you know, you'll use it at a later, later date. And uh, this is what I've tried to do. I've never been at a meeting yet where I haven't taken anything out. You know, we were talking about this last night. And I've been at some meetings where those speakers just meant, just left nothing with me. And I said this to my sponsor as well. I says, you know, this meeting, I, I never get anything out of it. He says, you got a little less than tolerance, you know. He says, when you first come around, you've been out that door like a shot, you know. You sit and listen to that guy. And it's true, you know. So there's not a meeting I don't get anything, something out of. 
So, uh, for the 12 and a half years I've had in this program so far, for the amount of time I've got left, I know I've got the rest of this day left. Tomorrow I don't know about, I don't care about, actually. I'll worry about that tomorrow morning if I wake up. I'd like to thank you. My family would like to thank you. And, uh, for giving them back a son that they, they really, uh, they really lost for quite a while. Uh, this is another thing that I, I awoke to, was, uh, my parents. You know, as a great guy for walking around saying, I know I've got a problem with booze, but I'm not hurting anybody, you know, just leave me alone. I told this to bartenders, I've told it to my boss, I've told it to everybody. And, uh, my first birthday, my parents come to my first birthday, and, uh, I just walked around saying that it's just another day, you know. I was a year sober, so what? And I went to my meeting that night, and I got my cake, and I got my medallion. And I went back to talk to my mother, and she was uh, sitting in the back of the hall crying. And uh, I said, why are you crying, you know? What are you crying for? And she says, you know, for the last year, I've been able to go to bed every night and sleep. She says, for eight years before that, there wasn't one night I would go to sleep, because I never knew what was going to happen to you, what the hell were you? Where you where would be or what would happen to you? And that's really opened my eyes. It really awoke me to the fact that the amount of people I'd, I'd hurt and uh, the amount of people I'd affected through my alcoholism. So for all these people that uh, I've given a little bit of peace of mind to and the peace of mind I've got myself in serenity, I'll never be able to thank the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. So all I can say is, God bless you all. Thanks very much. I guess that was the last person. Uh, we'll close it, but first, uh, Gary has an announcement. Thanks, Rodney. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, uh, to, to share the uh, dais here with you this morning. And uh, on the, uh, just a word on, on, the, uh, on awakening. And uh, it says, if circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause, when agitated or doubtful, and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. Upon awakening.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.